Praise God for the Son of God. Amen. Praise God for the Son of God. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. And we, we thank God that we understand who the Son of God is. Anyway, if you have your Bibles or if you want to just look at the TV screens, we're in our last section of the first chapter of John. We're in chapter 1. And we're going to go through verses 43 through 51. This is my last section on John. After six years. It's like, you know when you go on vacation and then you, you're ready to leave and you feel so bad that you're leaving? I put all my John books away. And I'm getting ready for a new adventure. Now, I, I don't know how this has affected you over the, the past six years. I mean, many of you, obviously, most of you, matter of fact, all of you have not heard every sermon because you, you were not here every time I preached. But it did something to me. If nobody else got anything out of it, this preacher did. But I know many of you have benefited from it. But we're in our last second. And some of you are thinking, well, how could you be on chapter 1 when there's 21 chapters in John? Well, that's because when I first started around six years ago, I started on chapter 2, just wanting to preach about the wedding at Cana. That was my intention. I had no intention of preaching John. And all of a sudden I found myself going through the whole book. But I never tackled the first chapter of John, which we, we've been tackling the last few months. Which is a very good conclusion anyway. Because it's all about the divinity of Christ. It's all about the, the humanity of Christ. It's all about following Jesus. And we're in our last section of 1 John, uh, or I should say John chapter 1, where Jesus calls two more disciples, Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus first calls Philip, and Philip follows him. Philip tells Nathaniel, and guess what? Nathaniel is skeptical. And we'll see that Jesus does not condemn his skepticism. He just doesn't. Matter of fact, which we will look at, he actually condemns his honesty. I'm sorry, commends his honesty, not condemns it. He commends his honesty. And what we will learn from this is we shouldn't be impatient with a skeptic we may be witnessing to. You're going to beat skeptics. I can tell you, in the 40 years that I've been a Christian, I've met a lot of skeptics. Or maybe... You tonight are here, you're that skeptic. Let your honest skepticism open your heart to hear what the Savior can say. So you can say with Nathaniel, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Let's turn to our text tonight. And if you don't mind, stand with me as we read God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 43 to 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, some say Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, my prayer tonight is that you open our eyes to see the awesome, awesome Son of God who calls each and every one of us to follow Him. And not only does He call each and every one of us to follow Him, but You ask us, Lord, to go and tell others. So we thank You, God. Open our hearts and minds and encourage us tonight and warn us tonight. Convict us, whatever the Spirit knows that we need tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as you can see, I play drums. I've played drums for 47 years. And when I first became a Christian, um, I put the drums down for like eight months because I just really had no desire to play. And then I got into this group called His Voice, which Steve was the bass player. And we played and we played and we ministered in different churches. And it was, it was a bona fide ministry. We, we proclaimed the gospel through song and we testified. And it was just a fantastic time of ministry. And then the group got bigger. And we started having this supper club called Saturday Night Light where we would serve food and we'd have waiters and waitresses and and, um, and, and then we'd do a concert and testify and tell people about Jesus. And, and we had two singers. And one of the singers came over to me and said, John, I want you to meet a friend of mine. I said, sure. So she brought this friend and he started talking to me and we had this great conversation about Jesus. Just a wonderful conversation. Until... I said to him about Jesus being God in human flesh. And he stopped me. He said, no, I can't believe that. I found out he was a Jehovah Witness. You can't be a true follower of Jesus and deny that he is the Son of God or God the Son. It just doesn't happen. It's not biblical. A person is not saved. Now, we understand when they come, first come to faith in Christ, they may not all understand all the implications of the Son of God. But if you deny that He is God in human flesh, there's a problem. Jesus doesn't call a person to follow Him and be, believe anything less than He is the Son of God. All the songs we've been singing... And when Brother Phil came up and talked about Hebrews, about the Son of God. And the proposition is, if we mind putting the proposition up there. Jesus called you to follow him. 
and tell others about him so they can believe he is the Son of God. And I suspect that even a a casual reading of the first chapter of John, when you go from verses 19 to 51, you will see emphasis on people witnessing and testifying about Jesus, also following Jesus and proclaiming who he is. That's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. That we're followers of Christ and we proclaim who he is. We see John the Baptist, in the first chapter, we see John the Baptist witnessing, testifying, and pointing to Jesus. And John and Andrew begin to follow Jesus. Andrew in turn brings his brother who? Peter. He brings Simon, Peter, to Jesus. Jesus then calls Philip to follow Jesus. And Philip in turn brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And that's how the kingdom of God grows. If you think it grows any other way, you're wrong. The kingdom of God grows somebody witnesses to you and testifies to you. You share the gospel with someone. They share the gospel with someone. And it becomes a snowball effect. It started out with 12 apostles. And now Christianity has spread all around the world. How? By mega churches? No. By one by one. One on one. You tell others about Jesus. And all who follow Jesus through the witness and testimony of others come unanimously to the same conclusion. We all come to the same conclusion. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Let me give a disclaimer here. If anyone doesn't come to that conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God or God the Son, they are not true followers of Jesus and they can be classified as false believers. Like Mormons. Like Jehovah Witnesses and others. If anyone comes to you and has a doubt of who Jesus is, encourage them to read the Gospel of John. If they're true seekers of Jesus Christ, guess what? They won't be. They won't be. Have, it'll eradicate their doubts. True seekers of Jesus' identity will inevitably find that he is the Christ, the Son of God. As a matter of fact, John states that in his purpose of writing his gospel. Let's turn to John 20, verse 31. This is the reason why John wrote this gospel. I've said it many times, preaching through John. He said, but these are written, what was written? The whole gospel of John. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, what? The Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Now you might be saying, John, you spoke about following Jesus the last time. And you talked about witnessing the time before that. And throughout this whole six years, you've been talking a lot about because that's what the Gospel of John talks about. And as long as the Gospel of John is talking about that, or any text of Scripture, we have to be faithful to the text. So, three points I want to bring to you. Point one, the Son of God called you to follow Him. Point two, the Son of God knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. Not Santa Claus. Jesus knows everything about you. And point three, The Son of God will show you greater things. Let's go to point one. The Son of God called you to follow Him. 
verses 43 to 46. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda or Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. The next day, it says that Jesus decided to go to Galilee, which was the day before Andrew brought his brother Peter to Philip. You may remember that the last time I spoke. Now, Galilee was a region in the northern part of Israel, the site of many biblical events, especially in the life of Christ. Jesus grew up in Galilee. Matter of fact, a lot of times you'll hear them call him the Galilean. Galilee is prominent in the Gospels as, as the scene of Jesus' childhood and much of his public ministry. Most of the 12 apostles were from Galilee. And I don't believe for one minute that Jesus just randomly picked Galilee it was all in the omniscient God's plan Jesus is, the, is in Galilee and gaining two more disciples this is not random this is the divine will of God if you're a believer you were not randomly picked Jesus or God the Father didn't say oh look he decided to believe so I'm going to pick him you were not randomly picked it was God's sovereign choice to call you into his kingdom. Thank you, the church is God's sovereign choice. Israel was God's sovereign choice. Amen. The Bible says, we did not choose him, he chose us. Amen. Well, anyway, back in our text, this time no one brought Philip to Jesus. Jesus himself caused Philip to follow him. Let me make something clear. Whether it was Jesus who called people to follow him or someone brought a person to Jesus, it is all divine sovereign election by God. Amen. And that's the bottom line. He now calls Philip to follow him. Philip immediately follows him. I love that. You know, when I read the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, when I read the Bible, so many times when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, they immediately left everything and just followed him. I love that. If Philip was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and later an apostle, not to be confused with Philip the Evangelist in Acts in chapter 8 and chapter 21, uh, Philip, if you remember, in John 6 was the one Jesus asked where they might obtain food to feed 5,000. Really, it was almost 20,000, but 5,000 men. It was also Philip that the Greeks came to him to ask him to have an audience with Jesus in John chapter 12. And in John chapter 14, it was Philip who asked Jesus to show him and the others the Father. That's when he said, Jesus, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, how long have you been with me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John tells us that he was from Bethesda, or Bethsaida, a fishing village located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the hometown of these three disciples, Philip, Andrew, and Peter. So Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And obviously he does immediately and goes and tells Nathaniel. Okay, I'm getting, our sound man is telling me to use this. Okay, something happened. Anyway. So, what happened to Philip? He just couldn't shut up. He couldn't shut up. He was so excited. So, we had to tell Nathaniel. 
Frederick Louis Goddick, he's a Swiss Protestant theologian, he said, one lighted torch serves to light another. That's what we do. If you're a Christian, you're a lighted torch. And you go and light another torch. When Christ came into my life, and I'm sure some of you also, we couldn't shut up. Right? We couldn't shut up. Most of us, anyway. We had to tell someone about him. <laughs> Philip tells Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, this was a young Jewish man who knew the Hebrew scriptures and knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That's why he believed in him. And that Moses and the law and also the prophets, which is another way of saying the Old Testament scriptures, wrote about. And that he was the son of Joseph, which of course was Jesus' legal father, but not his biological father. So Philip, knowing all this, when Jesus called him, is telling Nathaniel, we found him. Now, let's talk about Nathaniel. Nathaniel is some character, but a good character. Nathaniel's name means God has given was an early disciple of Jesus. Nathaniel's name appears in only two passages in the New Testament. This one and in John 21. There is some controversy of who Nathaniel was. Let me bypass all the suggestions and say that he's more than likely Bartholomew. That's another name for Bartholomew. One of Jesus' twelve apostles. I, I believe that's who he was. So Philip is telling Nathaniel that they found him who Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about. And then suddenly, Nathaniel's ears perk up. And even more when he said Jesus of Nazareth. He had him up to that point. The Messiah, you found the Messiah. And then all of a sudden when he tells him he's from Nazareth, he couldn't, he couldn't take that. There's, there's some resistance now. He, he had to stop Philip. Philip's excitement and Philip's proclamation. He had to stop him and say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, let's talk about Nazareth. Why? Why was Nathaniel so opposed to someone coming out of Nazareth? Well, Nazareth was a village in Lower Galilee that was Jesus' childhood home. It seems obvious that Nazareth had a bad reputation from Nathaniel's response. The Jews knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They knew that. Which had all the royal Davidic overtones, as Dr. Carson said. Nazareth, on the other hand, was insignificant. And there may have been some rivalry going between Nazareth and Cana. So Nathaniel's question... Can anything good come out of Nazareth is understandable. How can the Messiah come out of such a place? He's supposed to come out of Bethlehem. Dr. Gerald Bochert said, There is little support in scripture for a messianic figure from Nazareth. So Nathaniel's doubt was not without warrant. You see, Nazareth got a bad rap. Because Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Because even Paul was accused of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Quite frankly, you want to know something? Nathaniel's response, albeit honest, was shrouded with some prejudice. He was prejudiced against anybody that would come out of Nazareth. So he resisted. Listen, you at times may get resistance. We might get resistance. As a matter of fact, I'm here to tell you, if you're a Christian any length of time, you will get resistance from people. Praise God. 
In the beginning of my stages of faith in Christ, I knew that I knew this Christian woman, her name was Louise, who was actually one of the first persons to reach out to me and share the gospel. She used to hang out with us in the band, and she became a Christian, and, and then one day she sought me out and found me in a club, and she started sharing Christ with me. And if my memory serves me well, she told me a story about her father. When she shared Christ with her father, her father, more than resisted, got so angry that he took the Bible and threw it against the wall. But later on came to faith in Christ. By the way, when Louise, Louise shared Christ with me, I resisted. I didn't throw the Bible against the wall, but I resisted. I was, I was a little kinder, you know. My dad resisted up until, until two months before he died. But what's the point I'm trying to make to you? Don't give up because someone is resistant. I'm not saying there's not a time when we dust the sand off our feet and move on. There is a time when we do that. But I think sometimes we move, up, we move on too quickly. We get insulted because someone resisted. Don't give up. Nathaniel resisted. But listen to Philip's response. Second half of verse 46. Philip's, Philip said to him, come and see. Notice that Philip doesn't get into this big theological argument, but simply says, Philip, come and see. Philip knew that if he brought his friend to Jesus, he would have his doubts erased and his questions answered about the Messiah. Dr. Leon Morris said, come and see is still good advice. And I, I agree with that. Come and see is still good advice. You know, we take the word of God and we show them. Come and see. Listen. Listen to what the master is saying. Listen carefully. There are times in your witnessing you need to invite people to come, see, or hear the simple gospel of Christ and him crucified. To let them know that Christ took their sins on the cross and invite them to trust him. Are there times we get into apologetic arguments? Maybe sometimes. Sometimes we deal with intellectuals that need a little more convincing. Sometimes we do. But I think, as Dr. Borchett says, evangelism usually is advanced by genuine concern, loving proclamation and invitation. And I think that is such good advice. Point one, the Son of God called you to follow him. You tell others about Jesus, you may get resistance. Point two, the Son of God knows everything about you. If you're naughty or nice, he knows. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 47 to 49. <clears throat> Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under, fig, under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, and Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now I said that. I'm sure he didn't say it like that because I'm looking at the exclamation points. He must have said that with a lot of energy. So Nathaniel accepts the invitation from Philip to come and see. First, I think we need to understand that even though Nathaniel was brought to Jesus from 
Philip's witness, Jesus in reality sought Nathanael. We see that clearly in verse 48, which I will speak about in a few minutes. God uses believers to bring people to Jesus. But make no mistake about it. It is God who seeks the person, not the person seeking God. No one seeks God, Paul tells the Romans in Romans 3.11. Jesus was not lost, we were. And as Nathanael is going to meet Jesus, Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That's a wonderful description from the Savior. If you remember in Genesis, Jacob was just the opposite. He was a deceiver, which is what his name meant until his name was changed to Israel. That's who Jacob was. And the Jewish leaders who were hypocrites were also deceivers and not true Israelites. Paul tells us a true Israelite is not a Jew who was one outwardly, but inwardly of the heart. Ah, but Nathaniel, even though he was prejudiced, even though he was a skeptic, was sincere and honest. He was, as one commentator said, Israel without a trace of Jacob left in him. And it doesn't mean to be a prejudiced, to be prejudiced, or to be a skeptic is okay. No. To be prejudiced is wrong. Every one of us, probably for honest, have prejudices in our heart that sometimes stop us from sharing Christ with someone who needs... You know, I, I could tell you this. In, in all the years I've been witnessing, the very people I did not want to witness to was the ones that God showed me that needed Christ. And when I witnessed to them, I saw that they needed Christ and they, many of them received Christ. And the very ones I thought, oh, this is going to be easy to witness to them, are the very ones that gave me more than resistance. And to continue in skepticism is wrong. And I think throughout Nathaniel's life, God began to work this out of his heart. And he does the sanctifying work of grace in all of our hearts. And he works out our prejudices. And he works out our skepticisms. And Nathaniel is blown away by Jesus' comment. And says, how do you know me? I mean, Jesus said, you're a true Israelite and you're honest. And Nathaniel knew he was being honest. How do you know me, Jesus? And the second person of the triune God said in his omniscience, you know what omniscience means? He's all-knowing. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, in, you might think, well, he probably saw him under, sitting under the fig tree. No. In rabbinical literature, the fig tree is used for meditating on scripture and prayer, first of all. And that's what probably Nathaniel was doing. And I don't think Jesus was saying he physically saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. Otherwise, that would have evoked, that would have not evoked the response from Nathaniel that Jesus is the Son of God. No, it had to be more than that. First of all, the fig trees have these huge, large leaves that because of the weight of them, they tend to come to the ground. So he was under this fig tree and nobody could probably, probably nobody could see him. And I believe John is clearly communicating to us that Jesus is all-knowing, that Jesus is omniscient. Many times in the gospel we read about Jesus' display of the all-knowing God. He knows everything about 
Nathaniel. And I want to tell you something tonight. He knows everything about you. Everything. The hairs on your head are all numbered. Some of us, it's more than others, but he knows every single thing. I, I was talking to Pastor Brian maybe a week ago, and I said, you know, sometimes I get, I look and I could see a speck of dust. I could see a grain of sand on the beach that only I'll see, and nobody will ever see that grain of, of sand or the speck of dust. And yet, there's, I, I, I can't, there's no number for it. There's trillions, billions, I don't know. There's so many. And yet, God knows every speck of dust, every grain of sand. Now listen to this, simultaneously. I can only focus on one thing at a time. I see a little dot over here. I can only focus on that one thing. And that's it. God can focus on everything simultaneously. He knows everything. Past, present, and future all at once. God knows everything about you. I think Psalm 139 is the most descriptive passage of Scripture in the whole Bible on God's knowledge of us. And for the sake of time, I'm going to read a few verses of it. Let's turn to Psalm 139, verses 1 to 5. And this is a psalm of David. And he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now Jesus knew Nathaniel way before Philip brought him to him. And may I be bold enough to tell you, you can't hide from God. The next time you attempt to sin, remember he already knows. Praise God. When Jesus revealed this knowledge to Nathaniel, it was so overwhelming to Nathaniel that he said to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You know, I remember the Samaritan woman when Jesus said, well, you have had five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband. She had to be overwhelmed that Jesus knew her. You know, Jesus knows every single thing about you. And that could do one of two things. If you're a Christian, that will bring comfort to your heart. If you're not a Christian, it could bring fear to your heart. Listen to what David says in the next verse in Psalm 139, verse 6. After he recites those first five verses, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Nathaniel cannot attain it. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. When I first became a Christian, I struggled, struggled with anxiety and panic attacks. I mean, I really struggled with it. And God knew everything about me. I mean, he knew. And one day I was having this bad, bad anxiety and panic attack. And I remember just opening the Bible. And, you know, I don't believe in Bible bingo, but I was a new Christian. And God just met me at that place. And I, I opened the Bible. And my eyes were fixed 
on Romans. And, and the one, I think it's in chapter 13, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I remember this, and I'm telling the truth. I remember how every nerve ending in my body was, was just frazzled. And I remember when I read that passage of scripture that a wave of peace just came over me. I mean, I, I, I remember that clearly. And, and every ounce of anxiety left, every panic left, it was, it was amazing. It was totally amazing. And that's happened to me a number of times. God knew me and knew what I needed at that exact point in time. Nathaniel knew in his heart at that point that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He knew God was not, Jesus Christ was not an emanation of God, but God the Son in all equality with the Father. And I think it's important at this juncture in my preaching to speak about the theology of the Son of God. Easton's Bible Dictionary says the term Son of God occurs 37 times in the New Testament as the the distinctive title of of our Savior. He does not bear this title in consequence of his miraculous birth, nor of his incarnation, his resurrection and exaltation to the Father's right hand. The title, this is a title of nature and not office. Of course, his office is prophet, priest, and king. This is about his nature. The sonship of Christ denotes his equality with the Father. To call Christ the Son of God is to assert his true and proper divinity. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, because of his eternal relationship to the first person, the Father, is the Son of God. He is the Son of God as to his divine nature, while as to his human nature, he is the Son of David, which proved that Christ was the Son of God before his incarnation, and that his claim to this title is a claim of equality with God. Now, I think we need to understand the term Son of God because there is so much out there that redefine the biblical term of son of God which now it becomes less than God in human flesh in other words saying redefining well not redefining but restating what Easton's Bible Dictionary said, Jesus is God in the second person of the Trinity, shrouded in humanity, and has an eternal relationship with the Father. He is the eternal Son of God, just as the Father is the eternal Father. This is a relationship that in its deepest essence cannot be understood with our finite human minds. Now the proper belief that Jesus is the Son of God is eternally important. I can't stress that enough because there are cults like Mormons that believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe he's the Son of God. But not the biblical Son of God. They believe Jesus is God's Son as a result of God the Father having sexual relationships, uh, sexual relations with Mary. That's how they believe Jesus is the Son of God. Plus, they don't believe that he is God in human flesh. When the Bible uses the term Son of God, as Nathaniel proclaimed, he's talking about God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Now this is important theology. This is what determines a person's destiny. 
If, you, if a person doesn't believe Jesus is God in human flesh, that person will die and experience separation from God in a place called hell forever. So I, I think, yes, that is an important doctrine, and I, need, I didn't want to bypass that. Because, because I listen to sometimes even Christians talk and how they minimize God being in human flesh. As Paul said, for in him who? In Christ. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Nathaniel also says, back in our text, he also called Jesus the king of Israel. The Old Testament says, God's king was coming. Zechariah 9.1 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of, daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On the colt, the fowl of a donkey. And of course, Jesus fulfilled this in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But he wasn't the king most of the Jews were expecting. What were they expecting? They were expecting a political leader. They were expecting a king that would free them from Roman oppression. Jesus made it clear. I mean, he made it clear. Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. By Nathaniel acknowledging Jesus as king, he was willing to submit to him. Jesus is king of this true Israelite's heart. Because you came to faith in Christ, you now believe he is the son of God. When you witness to someone and they acknowledge their sin to God and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, more than likely they're not going to cry out, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. They're not going to say that. What they're going to say is their hearts will understand that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God and he's king of their hearts and they will begin to submit to him. Why? Because the description you gave of Jesus can't be described in ordinary human terms. Point one, the Son of God called you to follow him. Point two, the Son of God knows everything about you. And point three, the Son of God will show you greater things. Go to verses 51, 50 to 51. <clears throat> Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this is probably more of a statement than a question. Uh, probably Jesus didn't say to him, do you believe? It's probably more of a statement. The NIV says it like this, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. So it was probably more of a statement rather than a question. Because Jesus told Nathaniel supernatural things, what did he do? He believed. But now Jesus tells him, you're going to see greater things. He just told Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you're an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He told him, I saw you under a fig tree. Isn't that enough? That would be enough for me, I think. I hope. That would be enough for me if, if Jesus knew everything about me. No, Jesus said he would see greater things. Well, what are the greater things? Well, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, chapter 2, 
through chapters 12, for starters. Don't forget, now, he's a disciple, he's an apostle. Excuse me. He's walking with Jesus from chapter 2 to chapter 12. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. I think that's a greater thing in one sense. The complete knowledge of the Samaritan woman, chapter 4. The healing of an official sons, chapter 4. The invalid man that he healed, chapter 5. The feeding of 5,000, which really, once again, translated to 20,000. Chapter 6, Jesus walking on the water and stilling a psalm. Chapter 5, healing a blind man. Chapter 9, raising of the dead. Chapter 11, the catching of an abundance of fish. Chapter 21, and many more miracles and healings from the other Gospels and other things that were not even recorded in the Scriptures, as John tells us. He saw all these things. And throughout this whole time, Jesus is amazing and authoritative teaching that silenced his enemies. Yeah, I think Nathaniel saw greater things. Nathaniel has seen Jesus, heard him, believed him, but there's still much more to understand and experience and have, as one commentator said, a greater basis for belief. If you're a Christian, when you came to faith in Christ, that was just the beginning. You believed, based on the gospel message, your heart was, your heart and life was transformed. Once again, that was just the beginning. You will see greater things as God, through the study of scripture, prayer, fellowship, hearing the preaching of the word, Bible studies, trials, even suffering, etc., shows you greater things and you begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and your life is now being sanctified. And you learn that every day with the Savior gets better and better, greater and greater, sweeter and sweeter than the day before. Remember that hymn? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Yeah, he's going to show you greater things. And as he shows you these greater things, it's going to be sweeter and sweeter. You're going to love the master more and more and more. Jesus tells Nathaniel in, in verse 51, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Whenever the Bible says anything, what do we do? We pay attention, right? Yes. Right? Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, this needs special attention. He is solemnly assuring what he is about to say, not only to Nathaniel, but to the rest of the disciples, and by extension, to all followers of Jesus. How do I say he's talking not only to Nathaniel now? Because in the Greek, when you read this, when you read you, when he says you, it's now plural. It's not singular anymore. He's talking to all of them now. More than likely, Jesus is referring here to Genesis 28, when Jacob had a dream and saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder from heaven. Let's read Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, just a little background. God was showing Jacob that even Jacob felt all alone and weary. You know, he was a big 
Oh, he was a deceiver. He was cunning. He was crafty. And he, now he's, he's panicking because his brother Esau, he thinks his brother Esau is after him. And he felt all alone and weary. But God is showing that he was with them and would take care of him. And he was going to fulfill his promise to him and his people, which of course was the same covenant promise he made to Abraham, that he will make sure the angels go back and forth to protect him and care for him and the people his people, until that covenant was fulfilled. And the covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was that the world would be blessed through him. The Messiah would come through their line. Nathaniel was going to see this fulfilled. Jacob didn't see the fulfillment of this, but Nathaniel did. As one commentator said, could Jesus be Jacob's dream come true? And I thought that was clever. God gave Jacob this dream to assure him that he was with them and the covenant promise would be fulfilled even though he would not experience it in his lifetime. Now in Genesis there is no mention of heaven open and in John's gospel there is no mention of a ladder or a stairway. But the idea in both is God communicating with his people in both passages, Genesis and in John. Dr. Leon Morris, the Australian theologian, said, in both passages, however, there is the thought of communication between heaven and earth. In both, the angels are said to ascend first, which may imply their presence on earth already. In this passage, the place of the latter is taken by the Son of Man. Jesus himself is the link between heaven and earth. Now, the latter... In Jacob's, or in Genesis, um, is in some um, some versions translated stairway, but the latter is Jesus. He is the link between heaven and earth, not Jacob. Jesus, the one who opens heaven for sinful man to enter. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the eternal ambassador who reconciled us back to God through the mediatorial work on the cross. He is that ladder. And now Nathaniel, and by extension to all believers, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God makes his appeal through us be reconciled to God. Jesus was the first ambassador to come down from heaven. And now he made us ambassadors. That we follow Jesus and tell others about Jesus. And we tell people, be reconciled to God. Another thing we should notice... Jesus called him the son of man. Throughout the gospel, Jesus has many titles used by others, but his favorite title, Jesus' favorite title was the son of man. He often called himself the son of man. In the New Testament, it is used more than 80 times as a distinctive title of Jesus. In the Old Testament, it is only used twice. In Psalm 80, verse 17, and Daniel 7, 13, where Jesus is crowned as sovereign ruler of the world and received his eternal kingdom. And, and the Son of Man speaks of his true humanity. He, he, has a, he had a true body, as Hebrew says, and he had a rational soul. So when we call him Son of God, we're talking about his divinity. When we're talking about his uh, humanity, we call him the Son of Man. He was the perfect man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Or, as most theologians say, truly God and truly man. Nathaniel and all the other disciples did not fully understand these things in the, in, in the beginning. But in time, and especially after the Holy Spirit filled them, they would have a much greater comprehension of this. 
Dr. Warren Wiersbe said, at the close of that fourth day, Jesus had six believing men who were his disciples. They did not immediately forsake all and follow him. That was to come later. But they had trusted him and experienced his power. In the three years that lay ahead, they would grow in their faith, learn more about Jesus, and one day take his place on earth so that the word might be carried to all mankind. When... When I got saved in 1978, it was, I was saved in the charismatic circles. And if you ask me back then, what greater things were, I would have told you this. What were the greater things that God showed you? I would have told you, if I see a healing, if I hear a prophecy come to pass, or maybe someone raised from the dead, that would be the greater things that God showed me. But if you ask me today... What are the greater things that God is showing you? I would have to tell you the greater things he shows me is faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith expressing itself through love. Letting my heart love the people of God more and more. Putting other interests before my own. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Becoming Christ-like. That would be the greater things. If you're a Christian any length of time, what greater things did the Lord show you, or what are you waiting to see? Are you waiting for some fantastic miracle? Or maybe you're praying and waiting for God to answer your prayers for healing for you or a loved one? I don't know. And if you get to see this fantastic miracle or answered prayer for healing, is the Lord showing you the greater things? I want to suggest something to you tonight. That the greater things may be as simple as learning and understanding and experiencing more and more of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Or maybe as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, we are becoming more and more Christ-like. Greater things? Seek to know Christ more as you follow him. The Son of God will show you greater things. He will. But you will know him greater. That's the greater things, to know him greater. Let me conclude here. If you're a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus and a witness about him. Not maybe. You are. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You will be my witnesses. It wasn't a suggestion. It's just who we are. We're followers of Christ and we're witnesses. There is no such thing, biblically speaking, that I am a Christian but not a follower or a witness. This defines us as Christians, followers and witnesses. And as followers of Christ, the natural progression should be that you tell others about him, even though it is possible, as I said before, to be resisted. He knows everything about you and the people you witness far more than you know. So you can trust them for your life and the people you're sharing Christ with. Sometimes we have problems with that, don't we? And the person who God is drawing to his son through your testimony and witness will agree with you that Jesus is the son of God. And the son of God will show you greater things. Things, you know what? Things that glorify him.
Let me conclude an old hymn called Fairest Lord Jesus. I'm just going to read the first and the last stanza. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all the nations, Son of God and Son of Man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. Well, this concludes my study my preaching, my teaching of the Gospel of John. And I want to agree with the writer of this Gospel again, who, started, who, who stated his purpose in John 20, verse 31. And this should be the purpose of all of us who preach any part of the Gospel of John or any of the Gospels. And I want to read it again. Would you mind standing? And let's repeat this together as a church ready but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name amen father we thank you for this for John for writing these things we thank you that God our hearts are overwhelmed with your goodness, are overwhelmed that you are the Son of God. And God, I pray, my prayer is that if anybody is not a follower of Jesus here tonight, that you would tug on their hearts, Lord. Let them know Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus knows everything about them. He knows every sin in their lives, but you're willing to forgive them. You're willing to make them a brand new creation in Christ. And for those of us who know you already, God, that we would follow you even closer, God. And we would proclaim even more that you are the Son of God to every living creature that we possibly can preach to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.